Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. On today's virtual water cooler chat, Ashley Chung, VPG's principal and founder, had an entertaining and informative chat with Michelle Kiefer. Michelle is IP counsel at Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology. Michelle specializes in patent conflict resolution, working on projects like freedom to operate analyses, due diligence issues, and patent litigation. Before joining Medtronic, Michelle was in private practice, specializing in patent and general litigation. Michelle also served as law clerk to the Honorable Emmett G. Sullivan on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. Prior to law school, Michelle worked as a process engineer for an industrial gas company. She holds a JD from Yale Law School and a BS in chemical engineering and psychology from Washington University in St. Louis. She has three children, two cats, and one spouse and lives outside of Denver, Colorado. Hello, Michelle. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Well, you know, a little bit of here, a little bit of that, but I'm really, really glad to be able to have a chance to talk to you on this virtual water cooler chat. Tell me a little bit about the background of this wonderful area. It seems really relaxing. Is that where you are right now? Um, I wish. So I have, <laughs> I'm, I'm on Zoom and with the virtual background and the background behind me, I, I'm pretty sure our vineyards, um, I just got back from a trip to France. Um, my dad lives in France. And so I packed up my whole family and we we went over to visit. Um, he lives in this little like medieval village and it's just inexpressibly beautiful everywhere all the time. Um, so we would walk around the village and there was a fig tree by the car. And like, we would just pull plums every day from like the plum tree, like lining the street. And so I have this background, both because it's pretty and it's just outside the village where we went walking one day, but also to remind me, I just went on vacation. And so if I'm starting to feel stressed or overwhelmed, I, I don't have an excuse. I need to like dig back in my very recent memory to just enjoying time in, in the countryside and with my family. How long were you there? Uh, two weeks. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, my background, I'm at a hotel. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I came over here to see my favorite speaker. Um, he's not even in the legal industry. He's in branding, marketing. I uh, met him like 2021 in February, took his class, really was fascinated by the style of his delivery. It's just so entertaining. And um, he does like flash, basically drawing. And then that's how he pop his whole speech. And he does not, he does script, but he does not like read and everything. Very engaging. So I went to, basically I crashed at a healthcare conference and I'm in patent litigation. So sometimes, you know, there's like biofarm and, you know, that comes close to it. But when I saw that he was going to be speaking, I look at my calendar. It's like, I just finished a whole bunch of that. Like, I think I can make this. So I decided to book the ticket and check. Before I did that, I checked with his uh, assistant and say, is he going to be in person or is it virtual? And the assistant was like, oh, he's going to be in person. I'm like, great. Looking at the registration, I was like, I don't think that I really, like, I, I, 
negotiated and I talked to the um, administrators and let them know that I'm not a member and I just want to see if there's anything that they could help me like see him in person and I would be happy to pay. I just need some guidance as to how I'm going to go about it. So before you know it, you know, yesterday was his speech and I'm sitting right up front before he has an A30 keynote. So I'm sitting right up front. Amazing. He came down when he was prepping. He came down and he gave me the biggest hug. He was like, hey, you want to do have a selfie? You got longer arms than I do. So you're going to take control. He's like, sure. <laughs> it was just amazing. <laughs> That's the thing that Ashley Chung does. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you just do it. And I, that's so cool how you, you know, there's something you want to do. And instead of saying, oh, like, that's not really my my kind of conference or like, oh, I have work, um, you, just, you make it happen. And not everyone does that. Well, the thing is, like, I think that was the outcome. People don't know exactly the process that lead me there. So I just had lunch with um, an attorney that I worked with 18 years ago. Well, I left half an hour earlier and I thought it was going to be fine. I was going to be there half an hour early. My Uber had a flat tire on the highway. So was it like really scary? Like the tire blew and like you lost control of the car or was it like a slow stop safely to the side of the road? Well, I hear like, you know, and then after that, the guy is like, well, I think you need to find another ride. And the guy who drove me is like 70 years old. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> this is a little bit, I'm trying to figure out my time zone, going to go meet my friend that I haven't seen for 18 years. I mean, in the middle of the highway near Irving, Texas, and at this point, I'm more concerned about his safety. Yeah. Right? Right? Well, the yeah, yeah, it is quite a situation. And I was like, is there anything that I can help you with? He's like, well, you might need to call another Uber. And I was like, let me call my friend and see whether he can come and pick me up. So he had to drive over and the Uber driver had to give him direction to come over. And it's like, you have to make a U-turn somewhere and come and get me. And while I was leaving and I keep asking the guy that, are you going to be okay? And he goes like, yeah, I'll be okay, you know, because like the cars are flying and things like that. So that's my excitement. It feels like I'm living mission impossible life. So uh, let's get started. There was a wonderful like segue of everything. So Michelle and I, you and I have never really met each other. I know you're in Colorado. Actually, I think I've known you because you went on a webinar that Jessica Kaiser was on, I believe. Yes. And then and you won a book of mine and I sent it to you and I was just really, I just really liked you. And I haven't even met you. So that was really awesome. Yeah, I think that's definitely um, a characteristic of yours. You're a delight and you're fun and just down to earth and just, it's really easy to connect with you, I think. So can you tell us a little bit about you and how you took your journey to be a patent attorney, a woman in STEM? I, I guess I can start at the very beginning um, and say that I went to school to study at chemical engineering. And the reason I did that was because it was hard and I was not good at math. I wanted to go to college for something that was, was going to like take some time and some effort. And I felt like everything language or history related, like I had nailed um, which is just a very like 17 year old's view of the world. 
um, I went to college and it was like, engineering was kind of hard. Um, and so I fulfilled that goal. But one thing that was weird was I finally took enough math that I understood it and it clicked, but it took until differential equations. And so having like mastered something that was a real challenge for me, um, I planned to take that background and go to med school. Like so many patent lawyers, I am a, I'm a pre-med dropout. I, um, I was in my pre-med classes in college and like, I didn't, I didn't like them. I, I didn't like the times and that I had to be somewhere at a certain time, which might've been a harbinger of the future, um, and me and, um, hourly work. But, um, I, I really liked the engineers I was around. They seemed a lot more reasonable and they had fewer pretenses and they're less stressful. And I'm of course generalizing, this is not fair, but um, yeah, I had a lot more fun um, commiserating with my classmates in my chemical engineering classes than I did in my pre-med classes. And so I ended my freshman year and one of my friend's dads was asking me what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, I wanted to be a doctor. And he said, what kind? And it had been so long since I'd actually thought about my, my dream and my plan that I didn't have an answer. And so I said, podiatrist, because that was the first thing that came to mind. And I'd wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I certainly had the temperament for it, but um, he was like, I don't think you need to go to med school to be a podiatrist. And I'm like, oh, um, I've I've whiffed on like, you know, several levels here, both describing myself and being like true to, to you know, my goals. And so that was kind of a wake up call, like maybe, maybe engineering is for you. And so I practiced as an engineer for a while. I found it a little constraining. It wasn't as creative as I was hoping. Um, and, and I had a friend who'd gone to, to law school right after undergrad and she, she really liked it. And I really liked her. So I sat for the LSAT and, um, I really, I thought that was also really fun. And then before I knew it, like I, <laughs> I was off to law school. Um, I planned originally to go at night and stay, stay in my engineering job in Houston. But, um, I decided that I really, I wanted to try to do it to do it full time. And it's it's a real privilege to be able to do that. Not everyone can. And I'd say that the legal industry, they don't have the, the level of understanding for the different types of backgrounds that require you to, to go part-time. I think that they should. Like you lose a lot of good people um, in like the snobs of the echelons of law, I think, by like giving part-time or short shrift. But nevertheless, I was sensitive to that and realized like I have a chance I can do this. And you know, if it doesn't work out, I can always just come back to my job or another engineering job, but I want to, I want to go for it. And so I went to law school, having a technical background makes it really easy to sort of fall into patent law. And I was warned not to do that. And I definitely don't think you have to, there are really complicated technical and sort of modeling and, and lots of things you need to understand to, to be a good lawyer. You don't need to be a patent lawyer, but I, I like those people too. I like I like the patent lawyers I worked with early in my career as, as a summer associate and as a young associate um, out of law school. And so I think I found my place. Um, I I really like doing litigation more than prosecution. And I think that's more just getting sort of caught up in a little bit of TV law because TV lawyers look a lot more like litigators than, than patent prosecutors which is a little, again, unfair to pen prosecutors because I think they live very glamorous lives. Um, and pen litigators don't live the glamorous lives that maybe TV lawyers do. But um, 
yeah, I really like the advocacy and the writing and sort of taking the the technical and using that as a as a foundation for the legal arguments versus really getting completely steeped in the the technology. I liked sort of mixing those worlds and doing that translation from from technical to legal and then hopefully to to normal ordinary person. That's great. I wonder if I may offer suggestions on a couple of things that you said. One is when you, and this is basically because of someone actually did that with me when I spoke. It was, um, he told me, he was like, I like what you said. This is Sasha Strauss, basically. I like what you said, but I'm going to change your language a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to tell him to, to watch this episode later too. <laughs> so when you said that you were a mess good dropout, I think what I like to have you change your narrative a bit is that you redirected your life from masculine to law. I think that's just a much more positive framing. The reason why I actually immediately was very sensitive to that was like um, when I met Sasha uh, before and the reason why his style is uh, so resonated with me is that if he didn't take that one minute to say that to me, I might have, someone else might have said something like this, but it didn't deliver in the way that it did. So when I was talking, I was basically thanking him for, but was like, oh, I have this, you know, virtual company. I have a bunch of freelancers. I'm not sure really what I wanted to do. I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> you know, this, that. Versus he just pointed it out. It's like, you have this virtual business. You're putting food on people's table and you're basically flying that Millennium Falcon. Now I cannot quite come up with something like that to basically change that. But I think the redirection based on the fact that someone pointed that out to me, that is a possibility. I was like, oh, that's very Star Wars, <laughs> you know? But it actually was the beginning of helping me to reframe my mindset and having what he said was, we can't believe in you if we don't see you believe in yourself. And that was something that, you know, on the outside, people might think that I'm super confident. I'm a very nothing venture, nothing game person. But I think that that was one thing that I just wanted to see because you are, I'm, I'm just like, I've actually met a lot of people. I really like you. There's just certain things. I think like, just like nobody believes that I'm an introvert, but I am. You're like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. Just watch me when I have, basically exerted all my energy I mean you know so I just want to kind of like offer that suggestion so that you know that you're not a dropout we are really really happy that you redirected your life from med school to legal because otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you that's true um and you bring up a really good point about like framing yourself and the way you present I have always been sort of this like dry-witted, like back of the room commenter. And like, there, there's a lot of good that comes from that. Like, I love to complain, but not just to complain, usually to fix things like, oh, this is dumb. Let me tell you how to do it well. But one of the things that you, you lose the more you get into the world is your audience and your people. You need, you by definition need to go out and meet strangers and be in different environments and they don't know you. and so. 
I am very self-deprecating. It was, it was a way of connecting when I was younger because like, um, I have very kind of a humble background and like, um, I got a lot of attitude whenever I would display any confidence. And I don't think that's entirely like my background. I think that's a little bit of growing up being like an ambitious young, young woman, regardless, one of the ways that I could connect with people was being really self-deprecating, like, oh yeah, I like got first in my class, but I'm kind of an idiot. Um, I do that all the time and I still do it. The problem with doing that is one, you're, you're almost always selling yourself short. There's a, there's a, there are types of people who can do that. And those are people who are already in power. They can be self-deprecating all they want, but two, you don't have, you don't have a counteracting force in your audience. If you're, unless you're like with your friends or with your family to say, she's actually not an idiot. So people start to take you at your word. And so they're like, well, she says she's dumb. I'm sure she's not dumb, but she's probably not going to be my first pick for this really technical case or this really challenging matter that we have. I'm going to like give her some, something sort of more menial because she, she said it herself, you know, she's, she's kind of dumb. And so it's what, what do you, and I don't think it's just me, but maybe it is. Um, but so for no, it's not just you <laughs> yeah, for making jokes, but like, they're not, they end up being taken with some degree of truth. Um, and that, that can really like not be great for you or your career, or how people see you. So I'm trying very hard to do that less, but it's so hard. It's like, you know, reflex and at home with my family, like it's funny, um, but not in the world. And so that, that was, that's a useful thing to point out. Learning is so much easier than unlearning sometimes. That's a really nice way of putting that. So I well, really, sometimes I, I have my worst. <laughs> no, um, I love having like good turns of phrase. I think that's like one of the, the fun things that I can bring to the world and you do it like in spades. So I love talking to you because just the way you see the world is, it's just like the little like gleam that they put put on like people's smiley faces, um, like on like toothpaste ads, like ding. Um, oh, that's, that's okay. Kind of, like, what you bring to conversation, and I, I like that, and that's what I strive to do as well. Sometimes, usually, so that's why we can call each other friends now. <laughs> you know, so you are an attorney at um, Medtronic. Yes. And um, can you tell us a little bit about? what your typical day is like. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> so just I any day. Who didn't say, whoa, 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 back up. Every day is different. And that's definitely true. I try to, to organize my time with like, according to my priorities. And so not just to deal with, with little fires. Um, that's hard to do. Some days I do it. Some days I don't. But lately, one of the things that I like to do um, is have a certain amount of time where I'm interacting with the rest of the IP team at Medtronic to kind of get a feel for what they're working on and how I can support them because I am in charge of our freedom to operate group at Medtronic and freedom to operate is a, a really important part of most of our IP attorneys, if not all of our IP attorneys work. We really try hard to, to make sure that we we understand the, the patent landscape and what, what our engineers are doing and what, our, what other patents are out there. And obviously we don't want to infringe valid patents. And so it's really useful to me to get a, a like the pulse of my customers, which is the rest of the IP team, to see what they're doing and how I can support them. And so I try to spend a chunk of my time regularly, so it's not a big pile up. Just sort of having those conversations and and keeping those lines of communication open. Um, 
I'm also right now I'm hiring. And so I'm spending a fair amount of time reviewing resumes and talking to candidates and trying to, to do sort of that part of the role, which is, is a little new to me and it's a little daunting. Um, but it's also really exciting to, to see that we're investing in something that I think is really important and can really add value to the company. I also spend a little bit of time regularly, if not every day, having a, a good strategy for, for the way we approach how we do our work. What I, what I want has some amount of administrative responsibility to it. And I want to make sure that we have a good philosophy about how we're, how we're interacting with our outside counsel and how we, how we present and, and discuss with our business partners so that they understand really where we're coming from when we have, when we identify risks or, or identify things that are not risky and also, like, how do we how do we make sure that we keep that institutional knowledge? So if if someone leaves the company or someone gets promoted, we we don't lose everything that they knew when they go. And so those are like my big buckets of priorities. I have to say that you have a lot of foresight because a lot of uh, companies, what they think about succession is not something that people generally think about. So they lose so much institutional knowledge as people turn over their attrition rate. And so I really applaud you for, you know, thinking that far in advance. So uh, kudos to you. (laughs) It's it's a real problem. And you wouldn't think that um, companies haven't figured this out yet. You know, we all have so much fire to fight. It's just like firefighting is almost like we become firefighters. And then when I used to be in litigation and I know that you were in, um, you know, in private law before, before you started at Medtronic, you were in litigation at a private firm. And so those discovery deadline, you know, when people like sending each other discovery nasty gram, <laughs> you know, how much can you actually get? And let's throw emotion to compel right before January 2nd or something like that. I've experienced all those. So like you, I have not done patent prosecution. I, I was like strictly a patent litigation. And I actually enjoy that a lot more because I think I like the constant challenges until it got really old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the deadlines that like you're fighting like with the clock all the time. But yeah, I mean, I think still to date, just a little bit moderate. Now that I have my own company, I can kind of choose who like the clients that I can support and I have some really good clients. So that has been I mean, super accommodating in terms of to the extent that the deadlines allow us to do that. And of course, vice versa. So I just thought that I wanted to kind of, kind of comment how much we have similarity because we both have like the litigation background. If you have to use three words to describe Michelle, what three words would you choose and why? I think I would first pick pragmatic, which if you'd asked me in law school, I'd be like, no, I love just talking about like the bounds of the law, the implications for for it. And um, I find in practice that I, I have very little patience for that. Um, I really, I really want to understand like how I can translate what is already somewhat esoteric um, subject matter into something that is actionable for, for the people I support and for the businesses that they support. Um, and I just don't ever feel like uh, waxing poetic about the law. Um, it's and and I find that at home too. Like I just everything I just like, and I feel bad a little bit because I'm like so like. But what's the point? Um, 
but I just, I really like having like use for things. And like, for example, at home, I don't like decorative pillows because why? I don't understand. Um, and my kids have answered that because we like pillows to make forts and stuff. And so now I, I guess I'm changing my, my view, but like, I like things to have a purpose and I like, and I, I like me to have a purpose. Um, and so I really like to be able to, to do that for, for others is to, I don't know, turn what I, what I do into something useful instead of just like gobbledygook. Um, I think the second word I would use is helper. And I don't, I don't feel particularly helpful most days, but um, I find like my favorite role and my favorite role my whole life has sort of been like helping other people like reach their potential. When I was very small, my, my dream job was being a, a backup singer. And my mom asked me once, like, don't you just want to be a singer? And I'm like, no, I want to sing <laughs> for someone who's great. Um, and that's really, I, I find that's what I like to do now. Like, I like to help people get their job done well. I like to help my kids feel empowered to do something that I don't actually have to hold their hand to do. Um, and then my third, I think I've told you this before, but I'm totally going to use it again. And it's a little self-serving, but um, I, I like to describe myself as scarred because I, I take, I've taken a lot in my life um, personally, and it has wounded me in physical and emotional ways. Um, but I, I like sort of leaning into some negative emotions and ne negative experiences because they really they do a lot to form who we are, uh, especially because we, we typically heal from them and become different and stronger and more capable people. And so I, I don't like to, I feel like that's such a part of my being that it's, I couldn't pretend that I don't have it anyway. And so I might as well just like go whole hog with it. Hey, you know, one thing that I think that I have always been super self-conscious, you know, I didn't come to the state until I'm like 12. And um, I didn't speak that much English, but I've been in the state for over 30 some years. And I am still very cognizant of my accent. And especially when people ask me to repeat myself, right? And sometimes it's like, are you not hearing me the first time? Is that because of my accent? So I like what you said. I think that narratives are so important, especially in the industry that we are in. And I am making very conscious effort to think twice before I slurred out something. Sometimes I don't succeed. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you give it a couple of try and you're kind of like, oh, I should not have said that. It's kind of like lessons learned and you grow from that as long as it's not too traumatic. But I do agree that negative experiences, rejections, I've heard that is, I'm not particularly religious, but I've heard from someone that is religious is that rejection is God's protection of you. So it's sort of like you're not meant to go that way. That's why certain people are not accepting you or you are not crossing paths with certain people or, you know, um, experiences. But the, I think everything in life, it teaches lessons and it's really on how you sort of frame it and sometimes you know something that could be perfectly a fact is a fact you're a lawyer you you know that facts is just right there you have the fact patterns it's really how people interpret them 
and how people put meanings to it. Historically, I have been more leaning toward self-deprecating or like when people, this is very cultural, or, um, even in the Chinese language, it's inherently built in the language when someone say thank you. And there's um, there's something called nali nali. It's oh you're welcome. It's nothing. It's nothing actually. It's a small matter. And you you've gone through like hell to help someone when they said that you you know thank you. And you go say oh it's nothing. Meanwhile you have like basically like you know done everything. So I think that is like the cultural soundtrack that I'm also trying to sort of reframe especially in the industry, being an entrepreneur, you know, a business owner, you got your clients to basically, I wouldn't want to say please, but at least you need to have clients, customer satisfaction. And as long as I have done my best, you know, then I know I've learned too because I was such a yes person before. So thank you for being so honest. I think that we all, can learn from each other. And I do think that you are very, very honest about some of the stuff. And I ho only hope that through our chat that we could also help each other like grow because that's the whole point of women empowerment. Like instead of competing, we can collaborate. I don't necessarily need to like steps on someone to make myself feel better. In competitive industries, I think that happens a lot. I have really been pleased to see how many more like women and the diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, accessibility space is like making a good effort to improve that for the people that are, you know, less advantageous. Now, what are some of the lessons learned that you have from being an attorney for women that aspire to be, you know, either going in private law or corporate or just any lessons that you want to share with our audience? Well, um, I think I can tie this in as a lesson, but I want to sort of build on something that you said. And um, it's really difficult to not just instinctively be competitive or like feel like you have to push someone down in order to climb, um, especially as a woman, there's not always a lot of people there to help pull you up. Um, and certainly not people who necessarily look like you. And it just, and I know that there's a, a very strong counter argument that there is not a lot of room at the top for anyone. Um, and so maybe that there is some, some truth to, to that rationale. I don't totally buy that. I think that it's not your success and the way you treat people is is entirely independent of other success. Like you can you can be supportive and collaborative and not just like kick people in the in the face and still and still make it. And that person can can do that too. Maybe there's not room at at you know a firm. There's a certain number of equity partnerships and there's a certain number of equity partnerships and you, you're either going to get one or not. Um, that could be true, but there are other places to go that are needing strong and hardworking attorneys um, and other and other women and and 
traditionally underrepresented groups in the law. It doesn't it doesn't need to be because you have slain several dozen other other women to get to the top that you need to to have that sort of mentality. That's like something that has really hit me like in my personal life, the way I describe this is the way a tour guide once did to me when I was on vacation. Courtesy is free. Um, that's that's a little bit softer and, and wider audience than than the women that you work with or the, the other attorneys that you might be mentoring or um, working for, depending on where you are in your career. But it, it really is free. And it really, it doesn't, if anything, it just like takes some of the sting out of the stress that we feel, I think. And so I, I try to, to bring that to most things, especially when I'm driving. Um, <laughs> but one of the, and I've been, I've been thinking a lot about like, what would I have done differently in my career? Not like choices I would have made, like going to this firm or, or that company, but like, how would I have changed myself if I could sort of look back? And one of the things that I think is kind of becoming a theme of our call or of our talk today is um, I would have asked for more. And I think that that is a place where young women, especially uh, women or not young women, young lawyers, but especially women frequently give themselves um, short shrift is asking for what you need or what you want. If you feel like you can halfway do it, you can do it. Um, and I, I think I had to like, the first time I took a deposition, it had to be like thrown at me. I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not ready. And like, you're not gonna like get a, a golden sunbeam down, down onto you. And like a voice saying, you're ready. You need to do things that are hard and scare you because then you'll do, you'll do them right. You'll put in the time and the effort. Um, but you can't do that. And people aren't quite sure if you want to, or you have the inclination unless you ask. And so I think that's, you are like a poster child for um, really challenging yourself and, and doing new things and hard things and scary things. Me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I really appreciate how you are in a constant self-improvement cycle. And I, I, I cycle through that. It's um, called masochism. <laughs> but I mean, that's what makes you, that makes, what makes you grow and really understand yourself and, and what makes you tick and what makes you happy. And most people are not happy just being quiet in the background, like not getting the same or not getting the opportunities they would if they raise their hand. So I feel like I, if, if I went back in time, I would have accepted what was thrown at me more, more enthusiastically um, and with, with less fear and asked for more because I feel like that's so, it's, you can't wait for someone. It's just like, if you're self-deprecating, you can't wait for someone to sit, to pipe up and say, well, that's not true. You're very funny. Um, or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's never yeah. too late to change. So <laughs> and that I, would be our CTA call to action. <laughs> yes. It, I mean, it doesn't go away. It's not like you're going to reach a point in your career where you're like, people are just saying like, oh, you check these boxes now, now it's time for your promotion or like we've thought about it and we're going to give you this opportunity. You have to really work for what you want and, and ask for what you need. It's a real challenge to, to do that because people say no, and sometimes it's not fair and sometimes it is. And it, you need to hear that feedback. And if it's not good, um, if it's, if it's feels like an excuse or you feel like you're getting passed over, it's time to maybe find an environment where you are given the challenges you need to succeed. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate this. And I love looking at the background, especially given the, the, the crazy day that I have. 
I'm very grateful to have gotten to know you. You're in Colorado, so at some point I'll go to Colorado. Hopefully, there's no flat tire when I go see you. But I'm sure that you'll come save me. Yes. <laughs>